how would you uh, describe uh, yourself in just a word or a phrase? This is one of uh, those kind of dreaded questions in an interview. If uh, you've interviewed uh, recently, you know, describe yourself in just a word or, or a phrase, uh, it's a really hard question to answer because you don't, in the interview, you don't want to come off as too arrogant and you don't want to come off as honestly a little bit too humble, like you don't know what you're doing. And so people kind of really wonder about how should I answer this question? How would you describe yourself in, in a word or a phrase? And I did the research for you. If you have an interview coming up, the overwhelming best answer you can give according to experts is communicative. That communication is one of the highest and most valued skills in any organization. So when I, how would you describe yourself in a word or a phrase? I communicate a lot. Yeah, I'm very communicative, right? Other acceptable answers according to the experts are driven, meticulous, reliable, impactful, persistent, flexible, and a team player. Let me ask you, how would you answer that question? All right, set aside the interview uh, illustration for a minute, but just as kind of a life philosophy, how, how would you describe yourself in a word or a phrase? I, I'm guessing some of you uh, would have a familial response to that. When you think about how you want to be described someday, you hope uh, at the end of the day, someone would describe you as a great father or a great uh, mother or a great grandpa, grandma, aunt, uncle. There would be some kind of familial answer uh, to that question. Some of you, it would be a job-related approach. And uh, answer, and at the end of the day, you hope that people describe you as someone who's very capable at what you do for a living and, and, and good at your job. Some of you, it might be a character attribute you have in mind that you hope at the end of the day, people remember you as generous or kind or faithful. There isn't a right answer per se. I'm not setting you up right now, right? Uh, there's, not, there's not one particular answer that's right or wrong, but how you answer that question uh, says a lot about the way that you view life and your mission and your purpose. Uh, let's set that aside. How, let me ask the same question about God. When you think about God, how would you answer that question in regards to him? This is a question that was asked pretty recently online about how would you describe God uh, big time task, right? How would you describe God in just a word or a phrase? And let me share you some of the answers that they shared. Um, omnipotent, in other words, almighty or infinite uh, in power. Um, uh, amazing was an answer. Creator, awesome, everything. And then the, the most common answer given, how would you describe God in a word or phrase? Love. Right, kind of stole that from the New Testament, but love uh, is, is a great answer. And, and again, there's not exactly one answer because God is so complex and big and there's so many different things you could say about God. But here's what I want you to see, that by the end of the sermon today, we're going to set this idea aside just for a minute and get into the text. I hope to add one more attribute and quality to that list. I want to add one more thing, and we'll do that kind of at the end, uh, but we've been in this series that we're actually, I can't believe it, we're at wrapping it up in uh, a couple weeks, uh, this series on Abraham, uh, the life of Abraham. As uh, those of you that have been around Northwest for a while, you know uh, that we're taking January uh, to Easter for four years, and we're working through the book of Genesis. And so we, are, we did the kind of creation story up until Abraham last year. This year, uh, we've studied Abraham. Next year, uh, I've already kind of begun the study on it. We're, we're going to be looking at Jacob, Isaac and Jacob. Uh, and then we'll, at the end, we'll look at Joseph in, in the fourth year. Uh, and so if you remember how this particular section of it started out, it started out with God's call to Abraham. 
to leave his country, his people, and his father's household and go to a land that God would show him. And along with that call came promises, greatness of name, and that Abraham uh, would be a, his family would be a blessing to the entire world. And we know, because we get to kind of reverse engineer the Bible, we know that God intends to build a nation through Abraham, and that nation will indeed be a blessing to the entire world. The only problem is that Abraham and his wife Sarah have no children. And I don't know a lot about nation building, but I do know you need people, right? And that's a problem. And so a lot of the story of Abraham is Abraham and Sarah trying to help God along a little bit. You know, they're going to figure out who this heir is going to be because obviously God has kind of dropped the ball in their mind. And so they come up with all these different options and they all kind of fail miserably. And at the end of the day, uh, at the age of Abraham's 100 and Sarah's 90, and at the end of the day, God promises them that the child's going to come through both of them, that Sarah at the age of 90 is going to give birth to a son. And uh, today's the day in the text that we're going to study it. And we're going to learn some stuff about Abraham. We're going to learn some stuff about Sarah. But most of all, we're going to learn some things about God. So here's the text in Genesis uh, 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave him the name Isaac, uh, gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as the Lord had commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old, right? I don't care what era of time you live in, that's an old first time dad, right? He was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Some of you are like, oh, that was a long time ago. People were used to that. I assure you they weren't, which is why they named Isaac what they named him, which is laughter, all right? Um, uh, Sarah says, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said that, uh, to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet yeah, I have borne him a son in his old age. Now this little phrase, I want you to pay attention to this little phrase right at the beginning of this story. Uh, in the NIV, which is uh, what we usually preach from, is it translates it, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah. This particular Hebrew phrase, uh, in, to start out Genesis chapter 1, uh, from, from my research, it has been a real head scratcher to, to scholars, right? And all I can really do is kind of read their research, but they have not known what to do with this little phrase. So the NIV chose, now the Lord was gracious. The dominant translation in a ton of other texts says, now the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken, all right? So this little phrase, uh, NIV translate, the Lord was gracious, uh, King James and others, now the Lord visited. This little Hebrew phrase, it actually appears a ton throughout the Old Testament, and sometimes it's translated uh, to visit, to inspect, uh, to review, to care for, to push, to attack, to appoint, but 110 times, all right, 110 times that it is used in the Old Testament, it is used to describe a general or a commander that assembles troops to go into battle. So if I could articulate any way that this kind of Hebrew phrase, any kind of meaning attached to it, it would be this idea that God intervenes. That when God makes a promise, that when God makes a call on a person's life, when, when God is at work in the world, he very often will step in and intervene and make sure that his plans and his purpose and his goals are achieved. You see it all throughout the Old Testament. God intervenes on the regular. He didn't create the world and hang out up in there, wind up the clock and say, 
whatever happens, happens, right? That's not God. God is at work. God is at play. God intervenes. There's another time that this book is, uh, that this phrasing is used. Uh, and it's in the book of Exodus, and God's people are enslaved, and they're being mistreated, they're being uh, killed every day, and, and God finally has enough of it. And he goes to Moses, if you remember the story, he goes to Moses and says, listen, I want you to march yourself to Pharaoh, and I want you to say to him, let my people go. And, and Moses is not super excited about the new job, all right? Uh, and he's trying to figure out ways to get out of it and ways not to go, and this exchange happens, all right? So Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God, I can't go. I don't even know your name. I can't go. What what would I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to Israel. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Here's the phrase, go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, your God, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and Uh, have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go up to the king of Egypt, and you you are to say, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Hey, we just had a meeting with God. All right, let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and I will strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. There's this moment um, in the Marvel franchise. I was just reminded of this last night. So we, our family over the pandemic, we started watching through the Marvel movies in order. All right, we wanted to see them and kind of walk through, but we couldn't bring ourselves, we've been done with the exception of one movie for a long time, and we couldn't bring ourselves to watch the last one because, all right, spoiler alert, so pause or whatever if you're watching, right? Iron Man dies in the last one. And Iron Man is one of our favorite characters. And so we just couldn't bring ourselves to watch the last one until Friday. And, and finally, I just said, we've been you know, almost done with this for so long. We just, ha- we just need to watch the last one. And so we watched it half on Friday and half on Saturday. And there's this scene where it seems like evil is going to r- r- uh, rule the day and evil is going to win. And there's this scene, remember, where all of the Avengers come together and Captain America kind of stands and he says, Avengers, assemble. And even my nine-year-old was like, whoa, <laughs> this is gonna be, odd. he knew He knew it was a big deal. And this is the same terminology here, that there are these moments in history where God intervenes and he assembles an army to accomplish his mission and his purpose in his timing as he sees fit. Just like in this story, Sarah getting pregnant and giving birth to a son, it is miraculous. I know things were a little bit different then, but at 90, giving birth to a son, it required God in a moment to say, "All this seems impossible to human beings. Watch what I can do. 
And God says, I am going to intervene. I am going to step in at just the right time. And this 90-year-old woman is going to give birth to the promised child. It should echo back to another story you might be familiar with in the gospel. And in the New Testament, it's a story not about an old woman. It is a story about a young girl. And in that story, uh, God was, saw the way that sin was affecting his creation, and he decides he's going to send his son to the earth uh, to do something about it. And the text says that there's, a, there's a, a young virgin named Mary, and she's the one that's going to give birth to Messiah. And, and let me show you kind of how the text describes what happens. The Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be called the Son of God. God intervenes. God steps in and he accomplishes his purpose and his will at his time. So don't make a mistake of viewing uh, the lack of visible activity of God as God being inactive. Right? We make that mistake a lot. We don't see the visible activity of God. We're like, where is God? He's not at work. He's not moving. Don't make that mistake because one of the storylines of the Bible from Abraham till Jesus, one of the storylines in between those two stories is how God is behind the scenes. He is working. He's building a nation. He's developing prophets and priests and kings. He's doing all this world. He is preparing the world to receive his king. Uh, to receive the King Jesus. And so just because we don't see God moving doesn't mean he's not moving. That it is possible when you don't see him working at all, it is possible that he is working behind the scenes. He, He is working in ways that you cannot see. He is moving to keep every one of his promises to you and to me. See, again, God did not create the universe, wind up the clock and say, you are on your own. He is at work. He is at work behind the scenes and visibly. He is at work to accomplish his will and his purpose and to keep all of his promises to you and to me. He always keeps his promises. That, that is the, this is the story of a 25-year journey of a couple. 25 years of waiting for God to keep his promise. And God says, I always keep my promises. I always keep my promises. I always step in at just the right time. I always do what I say I'm going to do. So let me ask you, what has God promised you? Because by the end of this sermon, whatever he has promised you, I want you to stand in absolute confidence that God will keep every one of his promises to you. In his timing and in his way, in his perfect plan, he will do it. But I want you to have confidence in your God. So what has he promised to you? Well, first of all, I think that we could say that there are some common graces There are some common promises that all of us share in Christ Jesus. In other words, there are things that Jesus has promised every believer in him. And so we share those. Every person that believes in Jesus shares those in this room. Let me share a few of those uh, with you. All right, Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened. Anyone in this room feeling this way? Hashtag 2020. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the promise of rest in Christ Jesus. That when we come to him, he has a way of giving our hearts and our minds the rest that we so desperately need. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the promise of access. That through Jesus, you absolutely have access to the relationship with God that you were created to have in this life and the next. 
John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the promise of light. That in, the, in a dark world, Jesus will shine a bright path for us to follow. Uh, let's skip down. Uh, John 14. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. This is the promise of help. That you are never alone on the journey. You are never alone in this world as a follower of Jesus. He gives you his Holy Spirit to help you and empower you to, to, to live the life he has called you uh, to live. John 10, 10, one of my favorites. The thief comes to only kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, the promise of true and abundant life. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. We're gonna celebrate this in a couple weeks. We celebrate every Sunday, but Easter Sunday's coming. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying, the promise of eternal life. I am the vine and the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The promise of that he'll make something out of your life when you come to him. He'll, he'll produce fruit. Matthew 28, 20. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. The promise of uh, presence that he's with us. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The promise of peace. And the last one, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you and I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. These are your promises. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of his, these are promises he has made you. And I want you to have absolute confidence in your God that he keeps every one of his promises to every person. He will and does keep every one of those problems. You can trust him. Now, that's called common promise or common grace. What about you specifically? That there are things that you feel that God has called you to, or there are things that you feel God has promised to you individually outside of these promises of Jesus. There are ways that you feel led by him and called by him and promised, uh, promises that he has made to you. What, what about that? And you say, man, I just don't feel like it's happening. And you feel called to marriage or you feel called to raising children or you feel called to a specific ministry or a specific job. And you're like, when is he going to keep this promise to me? And I want to give us some kind of framework to think about this. I want to uh, just kind of give you, I've given you this before, but kind of several tests you can run this through. Because one of the mistakes we don't want to make is to believe that God has called us to something or promised us something that he has not. So I want to give you kind of a framework for thinking about how you can know that you've really, that God has really called you to this and that he's really promised this to you. First of all, there's the scripture test. God will never contradict himself ever, ever, ever. Right? So he, he just won't, he won't call you to something that violates his word. Right? So scripture test is a great test. You run it, I feel called to this. I feel like God has promised me this. Does this align with scripture? There's the spirit test. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That the spirit is at work in your life and mine, and the spirit also won't violate what he does. So anything that you feel called to should align with the fruit of the spirit. If it doesn't, it's probably not God. The wisdom test, right? This is one we sometimes overlook, all right? Is it a good idea? Is it, is it godly wisdom? Is it smart? Every once in a while, you, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but you'll have the same reaction if someone's like sharing an idea with you and you're like, oh, no, no, no. 
No, 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 no. Don't do that. That, that is not wise. That, that is not good. And so it, is, it, is it wise? And then the Christian community test. To have people around you that love the Lord, that are walking beside you, that can say, yes, that makes sense. Yes, that aligns with scripture. It aligns uh, with the spirit. It's, uh, it's a good idea to have people around you that are willing to speak into your life that way. And here's why it's so important. If it's God's will, if it's God's promise, if it's God's calling, you can be absolutely confident that he will keep his promises to you. He always does. You can be absolutely confident that he will keep his promises to you in his timing, in his way, in his purpose, but you can be absolutely confident and assured in his yes to you. If it's his will, if it's his promise, if it's his calling, you can be confident in him. See, God, what seemed, God did in this text what seemed impossible to everyone. I love this imagery of laughter. We kind of played around with this a little bit a few weeks ago about this idea of sometimes our response to God is to laugh, right? When we first feel called back to faith, it's like, man, I'm going to go back to church. Hopefully lightning doesn't strike the building, right? Right? And, and, we, kind, and we kind of chuckle, right? Or we, we feel, first feel called to a ministry and we're like, oh my goodness, why on earth would God use somebody like me to accomplish his will? And, and we laugh. Or you're feeling called to like bring uh, another child into an already kind of chaotic family uh, environment and you, you, you laugh about it. And I love the statement that comes right after in verse seven. And this is kind of where I want to land with you. She said, Sarah added, who would have said who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet, I have borne him a son in his old age. A friend of mine uh, that's in ministry was in a very rebellious child in high school. Very rebellious. He did a lot of the stuff that you uh, would think that a rebellious child would do in high school, a rebellious teen would do, and he did several others that you wouldn't have been able to call. He was just a wild child, right? Did, did a lot of things that, that he regretted. And uh, he went to college and his first couple years of college were the same way. Uh, just very rebellious, broke a lot of rules, almost got kicked out of college a couple times. And finally, like his junior year uh, at a campus crusade event, he met Jesus. And he became a Christian, and eventually he decided to go into seminary and earn a degree. And he is serving a church uh, still to this day. And he told me a story about uh, going to his 10-year high school reunion. And so he went to his 10-year high school reunion. And you know how those are, right? When at, at the 10-year mark, um, everybody's looks a little bit different, uh, but they're still kind of the same right? And so you can kind of see how they're different, but they're still kind of the same. And so he's interacting with people. And sure enough, the question comes up every time, the question at every 10-year high school reunion, what do you do for a living? And he just kind of said, well, I'm, I'm pastoring a church. And you know what the overwhelming response was? They laughed. They laughed. When I see what Sarah says in the story, I think of my friend. Who would have said who would have said that Abraham and Sarah would nurse a child? Who would have said that my friend Bell, who would have ever thought that my friend Bill would become a preacher? Who would have ever thought, in this room you can kind of fill in the blank, who ever would have thought that fill in the blank would be a great dad? With his family background and his baggage and, and the example that his dad said, who would have thought? 
Who would have thought that fill in the blank would be a missionary? Who would have thought? If anybody would have been told, if anyone would have heard that 15, 20 years ago, they would have laughed and then follows this one word. Yet. Yet. Yet that's exactly what happened. Why? Because you serve a God who is the God of the yet. That when you think he's not going to come through, when you are tempted to laugh, when you're tempted to join others in laughing about God's calling on your life and God's purpose in your life and what God is doing, when you are tempted to laugh, I want you to remember one word, yet. Yet, who would have thought? God thought, right? Who, who, who could have who imagined things would turn out this way? God could have imagined. Who could have made it happen? God made it happen, yet. See, yet celebrates our God who loves the impossible. And if there's anything in the Abraham story, it is that. God loves the impossible. He yearns for a challenge and he uses the most unlikely people. And always, 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 he keeps his promises, his calling, and his will. He is a God of yet. And so when you feel like God is calling you to something and it's passed all of the tests and it's not in align with scripture, in align with the spirit, your Christian friends kind of affirm this, God, this calling in your life from God, but people are tempted to chuckle and maybe you're tempted to chuckle. I want to remind you of the God of yet. So how would you describe God in one word? Love is a great answer. I have to say back at the intro, love is a great answer, but I want to add one more right now and it's faithful. It's faithful. He keeps his promises. Always, always, always. He keeps his promises. He enacts his will. He is active and alive and at work, and you can trust him. He will do the miraculous. He will assemble the army. He will send his one and only son to accomplish his plan and keep his promises. He is absolutely faithful. So trust in him. When you read through uh, the, the Gospels and you see all of the promises made to believers, have absolute confidence that he will keep those promises to you. Absolute confidence. And when, you, when it's a little less uh, based on his word, but it's the way you feel the spirit is leading or it's the, what you feel called to or it's the way God has gifted you and you arrive at a place where you believe that this is God's will for your life, have absolute confidence in his leading, his will, and his call. Have absolute confidence because he is faithful trust in him. Let's receive communion together. It's under your seat, uh, kind of prepackaged here. And what we want to do is we want to just spend some time uh, thanking God for his faithfulness, especially demonstrated through his son, Jesus. This is kind of that moment when um, God absolutely kept promises made all the way back to the Abraham story, all the way back even before the Abraham story. And you see on that case, uh, in Abraham Sarah's case, it's like you know, a couple decades. In the Jesus story, it's hundreds and hundreds of years that God is absolutely committed to keeping his promise in his way, in his timing, uh, in alignment with his plan. And so we're gonna celebrate that together. What I wanna do is I wanna open this up with prayer and leave a little bit of time of silence for you to just interact with God and thank him uh, for keeping his promises to you Thank him for being active and alive and engaged, that he didn't just wind the clock and step aside, but he, he's at work in his creation's life. And then I'll come back and uh, lead us uh, to receive it all together as a church family. So let, let me pray. Uh, Jesus, uh, we thank you uh, for being a savior that is active and alive and at work. 
And sometimes we're tempted to laugh when we feel your calling. Sometimes others are tempted to laugh on our behalf when uh, they hear about the calling. Uh, But we know you're not laughing. And you have plans, and you have purpose, and you have calling, and you absolutely will see everything through that you have promised us. And so this morning, today, we just want to renew our hope in you. We want to renew our faith in you because you are a faithful God. These prayers and requests, we lift up to you. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. His body given for you. His blood poured out. My prayer for you and for me this week is that we would just have a renewed sense of confidence in our God who always keeps his promises, always has and always will, and that we can stand confident with him and that our faith can be renewed or restored or re-engaged, whatever the case may be, but we would have confidence in in him. And we're going to see as the story unfolds next week, uh, we just have two weeks left of this Abraham story. And next week, we're going to kind of be reminded uh, to not make the promise the God, right? That God is God. And so we don't want to make the promise the God. And and then we're going to see Abraham and Sarah pass from this earth and kind of talk about what their legacy was and is and will always be and and what we want our legacy to be. So uh, just two weeks left and then we'll celebrate Easter together. And then um, uh, we're going to be in a series called Settled, where we're just talking about not not settling uh, for some ways that we've kind of had to live during the pandemic, but as we're all kind of reemerging, we want to make sure we don't settle into a, a, a land that's not ours. We want to make sure we claim everything God has in store for us. So that's the plan for the next several weeks. Uh, God bless you guys. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next Sunday.